Alrighty, so we're on the side of the Sustainability Festival, the 20th anniversary of the show, so we're getting some interviews with the amazing crowds coming through today. As, as we were all just saying a minute ago off mic, this is kind of our Christmas, our Oscars, our everything rolled into one for the sustainability community. So this is a very special one for me. I'm here with Anthony and Mick. Is it Mick or Mike? Mick. Mick, from the Sustainability Hour in Geelong, one of the stalwarts of the community. You guys have been going for how long on the radio? Uh, we started back in 2013. And we've been doing two hundred and more than 250 shows by now. So 250 hours are sitting out there on the internet. I'm not sure anybody will ever listen to them. I mean, that would take a week or something, you know. Uh, a week solid. <laughs> but but uh, the thing is, we do experience that people listen to, to stuff that's half a year old because some of these things we talk about are really, you know, just as good a year later mm. uh, because we have the time in our program to talk and get into depth with topics. And that's, that's the joy of what we do, you know, because we're passionate about it. If it's, it's an important topic, we will take the time that is needed. It's not like we have some editor telling us, no, you only have three minutes, you know, get out of there. Things are changing. You see that on, a, on the longer perspective of, of things. And certainly, the last year, what we have seen, I think the, the, things are speeding up. The last six months, months even has, has been like now things are beginning to happen that we have talked about. Uh, five years ago, it just looked like a dream or like something hopeless. It's never going to happen, but we still talk about it, you know. Mm-hmm. But now it's actually happening. So we feel a little bit, hey, this is the, the self-fulfilling prophecy. We said it, we wrote it, we put it out there, and slowly, little by little, we got there. And one example of that is that now the youth is finally beginning to speak up. I sat there five years ago looking around and saying, where is the youth revolution? How come that in the 60s we could have a music-driven revolution, a youth revolution which was rebelling against the parents, it was rebelling against the Vietnam War and different things that were happening at the time. Now something is happening that's, I would say, even more important to get engaged in. And I was looking around and wondering, but what's the youth doing? No, they were busy with their exams, or they were doing, basically, as far as I was concerned, not engaged. You, you go to any climate event, and you see all these gray-haired old people. Where's the youth? And the last six months have changed all of that. Suddenly something began, I think it began with Greta speaking up very powerfully from Sweden, saying, this is pretty bad, folks, and you know what, we have to change. And it's not going to happen unless we, the youth, step in and begin to talk about this. So that energy has inspired so many people around the world. And here in Australia, fantastic to see what's happening. And I'm looking here at two young faces right in front of me. Can we just get an introduction, get a sense for for who we are? So we've got, yes, I said Mick and Anthony here from the Sustainable Hour in Geelong. We have Anthony. So we're going to have two Anthonys. This is going to be Anthony and Tony. Tony? You can be Anthony. (laughs) All right. And we have Anthony and Fatima here from Climate Leaders. Excellent. All right. So we got two very experienced, amazing interviewers here. I've been doing this the far veterans. longer than me, the <laughs> veterans, and we have two of the rising stars. So I'm just going to be sort of moving the microphone back and forth, I think, so we can just have a little bit of a tennis volley going here. Do you, gentlemen, do you know about climate leaders? And what do you want to know about climate leaders? I've heard of them. I wasn't sure who was involved, but yeah, I'll bring it on. It's terrific. The good thing is recently the, one of the moves in the last six months have been Extinction Rebellion. And in there, we've got probably three generations working together, and that is magic. That's what we need. And that the three generations working together is just, yeah, it's just insurmountable for opposition, I think. So maybe a good follow-on from that is, is climate leaders is 
the offshoot from Climate Strike. So the Climate Strike, in, in the words of Maisha, who was on the show earlier, Climate Strike was to get attention and to get some momentum building, and then Climate Leaders is what has come out of Climate Strike. So maybe just the question of what is Climate Leaders? Essentially, so where we came from, all of the students were involved in the climate strike movement. And we were having a meeting one week and decided, well, what are we doing to get political candidates who actually care about these issues out there? And that's sort of how Climate Leaders came about. I joined halfway through its sort of creation. Farmer, you were more from the start than I was. Yeah. So basically, we were just concerned about, we have all this knowledge about the issue, but how do we actually make a change? And the answer was through politics. You know, you need someone who's on the inside to make a change and actually act on it. So then, yeah, just a group of young people from literally all over Australia, we all just came together and we're like, you know what, let's let's start up this thing called climate leaders. Let's we can't vote. We can't get into parliament. So let's try and find people that will do it for us. You yes, find that's nice. happening? In, in what way? So we actually endorsed our first climate leader a couple weeks ago. Um, his name's Oliver Yates. He's running for the electorate of Kuyong. And he's actually, a, he's got a great history when it comes to renewable energy and advocating for that. And we're just really excited. Um, he's an ex-liberal party member. So the fact that he stepped out as an independent has really influenced everyone else. It's kind of brought a lot of attention to this whole movement and just this whole he's he's very brave for doing it and we're hoping that even if he doesn't win or whatever comes out of it it is going to pressure the politicians and the government and it will get more people talking about this issue we ran a campaign a couple of years ago that we called the Churchillian challenge where we called week after week after week we called different people and asked them who's going to be the climate churchill because we remembered the history of Churchill back in the days in 1939 at a time when everyone was saying, no, 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 we have to make peace with Hitler. We can't go into war. Are you kidding? That's a terrible thing. Churchill was firm in his belief that we have to uh, defeat Hitler. We can't, uh, we can't negotiate or, or, or compromise. And in a way, climate change is a bit like Hitler. Because climate change is a political choice. Climate change was not some accident that happened. It was a decision made in boardrooms about 30 years ago, 20 years ago, and so on. It was a decision made in political party rooms, where someone said, no, no, we can't do that because the voters will do so, so, so. And companies saying, no, 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 it's, it's not good for our business, you know, if we actually do what we need to do. Churchill had a slogan at the time. It's not enough to say, oh, we've done what we could do, you know, and then be satisfied with that. You have to do what's necessary. necessary. We need to see a similar kind of leadership where you go against the current and when you're able, where you're actually able to convince a parliament that this is so important that we have to do, even though people are against it, through speaking you are able to convince them that this is something we have to do because it's necessary. We never found that climate Churchill here in Australia. We found a lot of great people and we also in particular looked in the liberal space because we thought that's where the money and the power is. Wouldn't it be interesting if that the climate Churchill of Australia appeared in the liberal side of politics because then maybe people would listen. Now it's beginning to happen. We're seeing like Oliver Yates that you have found. Maybe he is that climate Churchill that we need. Right, so we've reached kind of the similar idea or the thing that needs to happen from these two very different perspectives and two different generational outlooks as well. So what happens next? What's climate leaders' plan for how to go forward now 
what's the plan of action and how do you feel about it and what maybe advice would you give or what's your perspective on it? Because Climate Leaders, even though it is a youth-driven thing, kind of does need buy-in from a broader community. Ultimately, the youth are doing this because they can't vote. But sadly for this one, you do need the voters along with you. It does need a buy-in from a majority of the electorate, that's for sure. Uh, where we are heading is to find more climate leaders. So while we have Oliver Yates for Kuyong and we want to support him as much as we can, we do understand that it's a parliament of 150 seats, not one. We need to create a crossbench. We need to influence the policy debate and discussion within the parliament in some way. So we have methods of doing this, which is either knocking out politicians who have been climate blockers. So that may be someone like Barnaby Joyce or Tony Abbott in Warringah, which will be quite an interesting seat yes. to watch. But um, we need volunteers and we need resources because the only way to support a candidate ultimately is how you do it on the ground. So because we've come out of the climate strike movement, we do have access to youth and interested people who live locally and who could actually help out the candidate if they believe in what he's standing for. So we really need to you know, start getting ourselves more out there, start the sign-ups, getting people young and old who care about this, who live locally and want to make that change on their own level. So I've spoken to some independent candidates who especially ran in the Victorian state election and then Joe Dodds, who we were just talking about off mic before, who ran and won as an independent in New South Wales. Granted, these are all at kind of the city council level, but I was talking to them about what they give up by running as an independent, but also what they gain. Especially Joe Dodd said, you know, you gain the ability to just stand based on your own beliefs and to directly support your constituency as an independent. But of course, you do give up the party apparatus, the funding, the resources. Trying to tackle a party and change a party, it's a different ask. It might not be a bigger challenge, but it's a different challenge. You kind of need people on the inside to start to steer it. So I was actually part of the Liberal Party for two years and left maybe a week ago. Uh, Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. And trying to work within the inside, especially the Liberals, there's so much party politics going on. Now, they've been absorbed somewhat by the Mormon church and all these other churches, and it's created this very conservatively right-wing group that are thus against climate change. In this weird way, it's hard, hard to see why, but moderates trying to push through. The main thing is trying to get numbers and it's hard to get moderates to join a party like that at the moment. So you can't really convince the, the Liberal Party at the moment. They're probably eight years away on a state level or 12 years away on a federal level. If we, and is that, is that time we have, in your opinion, Anthony? Well, what was it, 12 years till 2030? So no, we don't have that time. So we've got to start addressing either the crossbench or Labor or the Greens. The Greens have been fairly onside the entire way through, so it leaves us with one option, Labor. I don't know their party apparatus, I'm not within it, but it is constantly just we need members joining. This is a separate issue that I care so much about, but party membership is the way to get parties to change their policies. It gives them the resources, you get to vote on policy, you can talk to MPs directly. It is the best way to change minds and hearts within the party. Have you thought about talking to politicians' kids? That is a line I do not want to cross personally. The kids are separate from their parents and the parents are often representing views that may not be their own because it is a party. I would feel personally uncomfortable yeah. doing that's that no. myself. That so no. yeah. How do you feel if a uh, son or daughter of a prominent, let's say someone, the last name of Abbott, were to come to you and say, we'd like to join the group and... Would that be seen as like a windfall and, and potentially a, a good thing for the group or would that maybe introduce some complications? It would add some complications but be a windfall at the same time. I just don't think it's our right to be 
forcing ourselves out onto these politicians' kids because those kids have their own, you know, individual thoughts and ways of going about life that are separate from what their parents do. And we need to be able to respect that. And if they're coming towards us, then it shows that they care and what we're standing for and what they're standing for. I think that's really good. From the outside, especially people are very concerned about the urgency of climate change, not that you're not, but we can always say, well, how about we do this thing or this thing and get gradually more radical and radical. And you're like, no, there is an existing system. We have to work within it. Because if you say first step zero, destroy the system and start again, that's not a step zero. That's not one step. That's a million steps in revolution. So yeah, if you do take the system as it is and work within it, then yeah, you do have to make some allowances for barriers and restraints. And it's really good that you, the group seems to have that right mix of pragmatism and idealism, drive and reality. We understand the system and we want to work within that system rather than tearing it yeah, down. Not. When we did this uh, Churchillian challenge where we asked uh, various uh, nobilities and important people here in Australia, we had a, a list of eight people that we interviewed, um, and we asked them who's going to be our climate leader and what's it going to take before we have such a person. There was one thing, we, we never found that person, but we did find something that was in each and every one of these interviews as the answer to what needs to be done, and that was the word education. It came back again and again. Each of those that we interviewed had that same thing about that we need to educate. In another way, you can say knowledge. What's needed out there is knowledge about what's going on because politicians couldn't get away with this procrastination that we've seen over 30 years. They couldn't get away with lying if people had the knowledge. And this is where Greta Thunberg from Sweden comes into the picture because she's got the knowledge up there. She's actually learned what climate change is and she's able to express it as well. And there's a lot of young people who know because they have the education right there. In school, they're learning all this. It's up there in front of their eyes. And so the big question is, how do we do that? And the answer to that is through one-on-one contact, conversations. Media can do something, definitely. But unless it's also something that's talked about at dinner tables with colleagues, at meetings and so on, physically, one-on-one or face-to-face, then it will never actually come into where your heart is. That's really important. So knowledge is one, community is the other. These are the two big things that are missing in the climate puzzle at the moment. That's where we need to focus. So if I could put that as a a question maybe to you, Fama. Great if you guys get individual candidates on board. How much do you have to bring along their constituency or their existing group of volunteers, their natural support base as well? Like, can you expect climate leaders to find a candidate, a candidate to be responsive, say yes, We support what you're asking of us, and we would like your support, and climate leaders can do something in terms of providing ways to get volunteers or maybe a natural base of volunteers. But if they can't rely on that exclusively, if that candidate has to go out to their community and say, hey, I care about climate change, I'm a climate leader candidate, what kind of resources do you think they need to educate their constituents? And does climate leaders have a place in helping to provide that? Well, at the moment, Climate Leaders is relatively new. It's only been um, like less than a month since we launched. I'd say very new. Yeah, very, (laughs) very new. So uh, we don't really, we're still figuring out logistics, but at the moment we have a vision and we know what we want. So for example, with Oliver Yates, we were very lucky. He's already got a lot of backing. So we don't need to help him out in that aspect too much. But we're hoping that once the word is out, we're going to have partnerships with other people and everyone's kind of, going to come together, especially with the school strike movement, there's going to be more people that are going to be involved and help us in various ways. Because if you think about it, the school strike movement just kind of started this way. There was no plan. There was no 
you know, this is where we're going to get this from. This is where we get funding. It just kind of came to be, you know, more people came in and said, you know what, I can help out this way. I can help out that way. And it just kind of started that way. So we're hoping that Climate Leaders is going to be the same thing. And the really cool thing about it, it's not a bunch of candidates running in isolation on this message, right? Like you can take best practice from Oliver Yates' campaign and apply it to the next crop of independence in the next campaign season after that. Actually, like this morning, I was helping Oliver Yates with his campaign. We were out on Glen Ferry Station just handing out flyers and like just talking to the general public and just getting the word out there. So that's just something I was doing this morning. And yeah, so a lot of school strikers are keen on helping and we're just going to help Oliver with the campaign. It's, re- it's a really powerful medium too because a lot of adults find kids a lot less easy, a lot harder to just ignore. Like if a kid's asking, what about my future? You can't just blow that away. And, you know, you're making decisions about my future and I need to have a say in that. That's a perfectly valid statement to make, a demand to make for someone young who, who are being affected by this, by the decisions. So, yeah, keep saying it. And it's not something to be ashamed of. It's, it's a right. It's a democratic right that you've all got. We've all got it. But I think you guys have brought a whole new perspective, one that can't be ignored. So So let's say a big thing you just touched on, Anthony, is the power of the youth involvement with climate leaders. The fact that the people supporting these candidates are youth. And how powerful is that image of it's not a 24-year-old, like, just graduated from uni and maybe wants to get into politics, so I'm volunteering at a campaign, handing out pamphlets or knocking on your door. It's a 17-year-old, an 18-year-old, giving up their free time to support a candidate? What? Yeah. Using democracy. And once you start, and I guess I feel it in you too from the look in your eye, once you feel your own power, you're unstoppable. So many of us are afraid of that, of our own power. But once you start doing things like this, you realise just how powerful you can be Mm. and how much you can influence others. And that's, that's pretty... It's nice to get up to every day, that sort of feeling. I think it's addictive for the person but it also attracts other people to you, that positivity. That here's someone going out who gives a and they're acting on that. They're not just sitting back and whinging. It just attracts people to you. Today's day and age, it's so easy because of social media. You can just connect with people literally everywhere. Yeah. Like climate leaders, there's people from New South Wales, there's people from Victoria, there's people from Western Australia. It's literally metro, regional, rural, like all people yeah, from everywhere yeah. are just connecting through social media. Like I'm friends with all these people that feel like family, even though I've never met them. <laughs> we're, yeah, we're part of this whole organization that we started up, but I've never met them. But we just feel like family and just friends and we're just creating this movement through social media and I think that's what's happening that's how the youth are rising you know we're realizing that we don't have to use social media for like entertainment we can use it for anything we can use it to make a difference so is it safe to say that you are feeling that power that you are feeling more powerful for getting involved in this and creating this group that has huge potential yeah it's amazing just to have the support of everyone so you know even here right now the fact we're just getting recorded for a podcast (laughs) don't really do interviews that often but get used to it yes (laughs) love it well i look at later yeah tv crews are lining up how long until we're at the un yeah yeah. Uh, week next tuesday okay Okay. it's just the amount of support and the fact we're being taken seriously that is the main thing 
in the past we wouldn't have been. We, you know, we're rising up, yada, yeah, go back to school, kids. But now it is, okay, you guys are caring. As you said, we're giving a sh- And so we're actually going to be recognised for what we want to do, what we need and getting our futures back. And it's unrealistic what you're asking for or perfectly satisfactory what you're asking for. Is okay, a future. Okay. <laughs> Someone in the Belgium climate strike just the other Friday was saying something that's, uh, and there's a language warning here because uh, you're yeah, not we'll be, a- allowed to curse we'll, and say dirty words in, in radio. We'll but you out, yeah. uh, uh, so, so you are warned, turn your radio off right now if you don't want to hear this. But in Belgium, a girl was uh, similar to, with the same power as you remember when the, the kids over in America were talking about uh, there was these school shootings mm-hmm. and they were beginning to come out. And this was actually what, what inspired Greta. Yeah. To, to start her school strike was that she saw kids in America who were doing these uh, strikes. They weren't strikes. They were just getting out, getting together, holding speeches and so on. And here's the thing. Climate change is, in particular for a person like Greta, it is a life and death issue. The rest of the world is sleepwalking, but Greta has opened everyone's eyes to that, oh, there is something very dangerous happening here. You, you promised you know, a bomb, so, 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 yeah, so that was a, that was a long, that was a long warm-up. So in Belgium, this, this girl is, is saying, she's saying, and in the same way like people were saying to Scott Morrison when he said, no, 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 you have to go back to school, you know, we can't have you out there in the streets and so on. So she, she said, yes, 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 we skip school, but you skip the f- planet. <laughs> That's the slogan. Oh, I didn't get the beep. <laughs> In that sentence, there is a bit of truth and and a bit of anger. But I think that anger is well-deserved at this point. Because really, when you look at what's going on, there is a whole generation of people who are like apathetic to that they are stealing the future from the next generations. So you've been waiting for this for a while. You've been calling for it for half a decade, you know, the youth to rise. So they're doing it. How how happy are you with the results, like on a scale of 1 to 10? Uh, I'm up in between nine and ten at the moment, uh, and this is no, this is absurd in a way because it's such a tragic thing that's happening. But when you have been in it for a long time and you have felt no one's listening, no one's listening, no one's listening, getting nowhere, and then suddenly there's a crack, greater, and something comes out, it spills out, and it's full of energy and youth, and to me, so much inspiration. And the words that came out, these signs that the, the kids are writing in these school strikes, they're so creative. Could never have imagined writing something like what the, some of these signs have been saying. So I am so much loving it. And, and to me, this is something, you know, it's like this is what's going to make all the difference. So it's time to be joyful. It's time to get together and have fun. Because that's the thing, as you guys are talking about as well, when you created this movement or this this, uh, organization, Climate Leaders, it was fun. There was a a good feeling about it. There were smiling faces. And that's the funny thing about emergencies, that when people get together, they find out, even though it's a terrible situation, there's lots of good things happening. Lots of hugs and lots of love. So all that comes in the same melting pot. That's what we need to understand. So you shouldn't be afraid of dealing with a climate emergency. Just like with any other emergency, it brings people together and we feel we're doing something useful, something meaningful. We've got all the solutions that are needed, more than enough. It's two things are lacking. One's the political will 
And the second thing at the moment, and these guys are changing that, is the numbers of people necessary to change that political will. That's what collecting petitions about over there is all about. And see, it's really easy here. We've actually got people coming up and asking, can they sign? So we're kind of on our home ground here at the, the SLF. But yeah, it's just, it's doing that, that kind of work, that grunt work. And it's all those little things that add up. We just got to do them quickly. So while we've got you two here from Climate Leaders to talk a little bit more about the group. So the climate strike we had here last November and we're having again in March, bigger, better, badder. It's amazing, I'm so (laughs) excited, badass. Of course, we've seen climate strikes in other countries of the world and Climate Leaders has kind of spawned out of the climate strike. Have you heard about similar groups starting the idea to mobilize that energy and passion from the strike and funnel it into political action. Is that happening elsewhere in the world that you know of? Not that I know of. And I think it's partly just the confluence of the federal election with the timing of this march. And it's sort of the perfect storm of everything, basically. Having a prime minister kicked out for his neg, the energy policy. Having now students out on the streak with the current prime minister telling us to get back into school and a federal election coming up with another strike and... It's, it's the perfect storm. stepping up from Inde- Liberal Party. So many independents. Yeah, literally. And for us, we're very lucky. It's in my electorate. Out of all the places in Australia, it's my electorate. They came to your house. Yeah, like <laughs> his house is literally five minutes away from mine. <laughs> so it's literally, I don't know how it just came to be. So like it just fit in like a puzzle piece, you know? It's just. It is happening in a number of countries worldwide at the moment so you guys will link up with the other countries all these things are happening wouldn't that be great to regain a little bit of national pride and honor if australia could be leading in something in this realm if climate leaders can get out the front and be kind of the go-to the halo group to show how other people can do this as well could actually be in the front for once. That would be lovely. Rather than getting laughed at, was it was it APEC or which one was it we went to and was it Melissa Price said we're on track and then we just got laughed at? That's that, It's shameful for our nation that that's where we are, that we can be laughed at about our climate policy. And that's an outright lie and she can get away with that. And that what sort of example is that giving you guys? That this is, this is okay to do this? That, you know, we deserve better than that. You deserve better than that. You raise a very good point, Tony, that when I grew up, I was born in the 1990s, and I saw some stuff in the States, politics-wise, with impeachments and and interns and stuff. And I I always was interested in politics and thought about going into politics, potentially, but it was sullied for me a little bit. It lost a bit of that sheen of, like, politics is a respectable, good thing you can do with your life. For you guys growing up, like, how much of a show has politics been in this country and like is this giving you some hope back in the power of politics to be a progressive advancing institution or is are you guys looking at it right now like this is so broken we need to like chuck some band-aids on it to just get us over the finish line well i follow the politics a lot that's my main thing and i think it is completely messed up in its current state but it's encouraging more dem- democracy, essentially, is what we need. You've been seeing the turnout dropping, despite the fact we have compulsory voting. We don't have strong systems of freedom of information or ways to get uh, referenda or petitions set up by the people. And there's, was it, cabinet files in Australia were 20 years to be released, coming down to 10 years. But in New Zealand, it's about five years. And so the public servants actually worry about what they're saying. And so we have a lot of ways of running our country, our governance and our democracy that should be improved. And as soon as you work on fixing that, 
then the politicians will come with it because we're able to demand more of them because we know more about what they're doing. And so I see it as, yeah, it's a shit show now, but it means there's a low bar on what to fix. (laughs) So this seems to be the exact right thing we need right now. We said we've got this perfect storm of, of situation in Australia where we need political action really fast. And we've got the climate strike on the one hand producing a lot of energy and a lot of motivated young people. We've got a federal election. We've got a severely discredited and ineffective federal government. How does this group avoid some pitfalls or, or how does it stay effective? And I'm actually kind of curious with, with Mick and Anthony, what do you see as being ways that this group could maybe lose some of its effectiveness or be derailed? And what should these young people who are involved in running it be looking out for? We as adults have a responsibility to have their back and make sure they're not derailed and support them and encourage them and, and empower them. Yeah, They make the decisions, but we've just got their back. Mm. That's, that's our responsibility as I see it. Mm. And just talk to their truth. That just support them because it's it's just it's unfair it's it's against it, you know it's un-Australian it's un everything for them not to have a say in their future mm. when it is severely being being severely compromised. Mm. The thing that I can't come to grips with at all is that politicians that are making these decisions it affects their kids as well, and I I just can't for the life of me understand how a parent they're effectively saying that my political career is more important than my kids. That's what they're saying. Maybe one very specific hypothetical. Zelie Stegall, maybe Oliver Yates as well. People who are the the adults in the climate community who are supporting climate leaders and what you're doing. We've got some very strong political views. And sometimes these independents can have slight differences on matters of domestic policy or foreign policy. But the things you're looking for in climate leaders is the agreement on the climate, granting that that's the most important issue. But do we have to look out as the the outside community for not eating our own, not, you know, being hypercritical and saying, oh, Oliver Gates, I disagree with him on tax policy or negative gearing and getting kind of down on the movement just because the independents aren't 100 percent on our level. Climate change is not I mean, it's a political choice in the sense that this was something that some people decided was okay just to let pollution be free, let things escalate the way they have done over 30 years when we knew what would happen. But in a way, climate change is not politics as such because climate change is more like health. You know, uh, you don't consider your health a political issue as such. If, if you have cancer, you have cancer and you want to try and cure the problem. It's not a question of whether you're left or right wing. So it's very important we create the consensus and that we get everybody on board and find that middle ground. That's what climate change demands of us. And about how we keep the energy up, because we know that we can burn out. And right now there's a great energy in the, in the youth movement. Uh, I think what you need to look at, or, or can learn from anyway, is the youth movement back in the 60s and beginning of the 70s. Because that movement, we think of it as something that happened like a flash. But it was actually something that happened over 10 years. So it's not going, the energy is not going to run out just like that. It's not a little thing that where, where it's a question of, of, of a few people and what happens then. It's more like the opposite way around. Now we need the musicians and the artists and everyone else to get engaged just as much. 
on your point, uh, with the next track, we're constantly struggling to find different ways to, to carry out this track. We don't want it to be the same as the last one. We don't want it to be repetitive. We don't want the same thing. So it's, it's, it's a bit of a struggle, but we keep thinking of what can we add to the strike? How can we make it different? How can we get more people involved? Actually, just like uh, yesterday or the day before, some I can't remember who it was, but someone reached out to us. He's a musician, and he knows a ton of people in Victoria, a ton of musical teachers, and he reached out to us. I've got all these bands. I have all these connections. For, yeah, for the next track, he's like, look, if you guys need anything, need anyone, let me know. I'll arrange a band for you. I'll... <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's quite crazy. Like, yeah. we didn't have to reach out, but no. there's all these different... A musician wanting to perform at the strike. Like, can you believe that? So it's really exciting that so many... Like, there's photographers as well that are getting involved that want to take pictures. So it's really exciting that there's all these different kinds of people coming together for this one movement. And as you said, it's, it's fun. It's not something... It's not just like an emergency. It's... While everyone's addressing this, everyone's making connections, everyone's becoming friends, everyone's having a good time. And, you know, the creative juices are just constantly flowing. And I think that's the key to keep the movement going. And the thing is that you guys stood up and then yeah. most adults are going to support that. There's not too many adults apart from politicians. But, <laughs> and they added, You're working on that too. They, yeah. they added to your numbers by doing what they did, or saying what they did. Mm. Yeah, people stand up and support because, it, like Mick said, we've been waiting for years. I do worry, though, at times that one of those pitfalls we will have is that, as we were mentioning before, the progressive issues, if it focuses just solely on that, then we isolate this movement just to the progressive mm. side, just to the left wing. And as someone who is coming from that outsider position, there, there is already hostility constantly towards Liberal people. And mm. it makes sense when it's a party that is doing nothing on the issue. But you feel it, it's not a comfortable space to try and enter and then to try and work within, as you're always being... No one trusts you from the start. And you, so you have to keep it down. And it makes it harder then to build that movement because those will be the kids of conservative parents and those are the people you need to convince. They're the voters. They're the people still holding things back. And so you do, to a degree, need to separate the school strike and the climate movement from the other issues, despite the fact that there is, you know, climate justice, the fact that, OK, while we are contributing the most to climate change, we also suffer the least of the consequences. So there are obviously progressive issues that come out of it, but to not bury it so in so many of these issues that we exclude people yeah. is really important for well, all of us. Talk about, it's talking about what's important to them and what yeah. climate change will how climate change will impact on that. Climate Leaders is about changing the system from the inside out. You can't, it, what, with movements, the focus is usually the outside, changing the outcomes. But truly, the most effective way to deal with something is from the inside. You know, like for example, um, if you have someone who's diagnosed with diabetes, it's effective to treat them for their, for their disease. But ultimately, the best way is to educate people how to prevent them from getting diabetes. You know, prevention is better than cure. So that's exactly what Climate Leaders is doing. Not only is it built off of a movement, but it's actually doing something from the inside to change politics. Climate Leaders is essential, and it's really important that the, different, the groups from different countries link up. Absolutely crucial. 
and empower each other and yeah, work together. Thank you all so much. That was a fantastic conversation. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Just keep it going and yeah. talk a little bit more. I'll just take a picture. From yeah, yeah, yeah. Quick photo. This could be the fun game. No, well, I got it. The Climactic Collective. Collective.